The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And we are here with Sachin Patel and he has the Living Proof Institute. And today we're talking about fight or flight and how to have better brain health, better gut health, better sex. We are talking about how to make everything better because one of the things he talked about before we started was when where we send flow is where we send function. So you're going to learn all about that today. Sachin, for people who don't know about you yet, please tell them a little bit about how you got started. Sure. So I'll keep this brief so we can talk more to the viewers about the awesome content we have. You know, I started off as a chiropractor working in a sports clinic, getting excellent results with athletes and, you know, ranging from your weekend warriors all the way up to Olympic gold medalists. And so I had the privilege of working with a spectrum of people who are relatively healthy. And one day I was on the news because we were helping people so much with elbow pain and our practice was featured on TV. Well, lo and behold, what I thought was going to be the, the best day of my clinical practice ended up being, you know, something that was a great learning experience. And as people started calling the office and then coming in as patients, they were sicker than anyone else I'd ever met. So the patients we, that were coming in were the healthiest people in our communities. And overnight, basically, we started having some of the sickest people in our community start calling us. So I went from being on a high of thinking, wow, I'm on top of the world. I can help people win gold medals. But then when somebody really needed to be helped and feel better and just be able to like function normally and be there as a grandparent or a parent or a spouse, I couldn't help that person. And it was kind of a gutting feeling because I didn't know where to send them either. It's one thing if you can't help somebody, but not knowing where to send them because they've already tried everything else, you know, that's a gut wrenching feeling. It's kind of like when you can't help your child who's in pain um, because there's nothing you can do sometimes. And so that's what happened to me. And, you know, I'm two years into practice and I had a kind of an existential crisis. I'm like, what do I do? I can't help people. And if somebody that I love was in this position, there's nothing that I could offer them either. And so that's around the same time I started learning about functional medicine. And just like most things, when you learn something new, your mind expands, your paradigm kind of expands and the old paradigm kind of crumbles. I realized that I could have so much more of an impact in my community and actually make a difference, a much more significant improvement and difference in somebody's life besides helping them run a little bit faster or throw a ball a little bit harder, I could make somebody become more functional as a human being. And so once I learned functional medicine, I never looked back and, you know, I continued practicing structural chiropractic care, incorporating more and more functional medicine. And then in 2011, I eventually opened up the Living Proof Institute in of all places, Cincinnati, Ohio. And the practice really took off. We had some amazing growth uh, because we were getting awesome results with people. And fast forward a few years later, I moved back to Toronto and start another practice here. And uh, fast forward from there, I retire from clinical practice. And now what I do is I help practitioners, you know, really change the paradigms of their practice from an operation standpoint, but also from a clinical standpoint. And I also get to talk to really cool people like you and your community, uh, sharing this information as far and wide as I can. Well, you are doing an amazing job. And I think that one of the things people realize right now is that everyone realizes everyone's stressed, right? Like our stress levels as a society are so high. But I think that they kind of put the stress portion of the fight or flight response 
lower on the totem pole, so to speak. Like they'll be like, oh yeah, 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 food allergies or yeah, 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 all these other things. And they they think stress is a piece of it. But I think from what I've heard you talk about is that that is a way bigger issue than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, like when, and, and this happens in practice all the time, like you can't go to a doctor who's more stressed out than you are and tell them about your stress. Mm. right? Like your doctor is telling people they're going to die. Like they've got a chronic disease that there's nothing they can do for them. They've got people coming in who are like ranging from feeling, you know, Hey, I'm fine. I'm, I'm here for a regular checkup to people who are completely crippled or debilitated and addicted to medications. And they're on 10 different drugs. So when you go to your doctor, like your problems might seem very small to them and they might even minimize them because of the tragic level of health that people are going in to see the doctor for. And, you know, stress is something that it's kind of an interesting paradox because we actually become, we're very resilient as human beings. Like, obviously, if you're listening to this, whatever's happened to you hasn't killed you yet. And I can think of plenty of times I probably should have died uh, because of the dumb stuff I've done. Right. And we all have stories like that. So we're super, super resilient. And that's our gift and our curse. If we treated our cars or our homes, or computers, the way we treat our bodies, right? Nothing would last more than a couple of days. Hey guys, I don't know about you, but if you are just feeling so tired throughout the day and just feeling restless at night, then I want you to try something called Energy Bits. Each package is has spirulina or chlorella algae. They're plant-based and they have zero sugar, 40 nutrients, five grams of protein. And so you are gonna feel great taking them. So go to energybits.com and then you'll get 20% off if you put the promo code Chantel. That's C-H-A-N-T-E-L. So the resilience that we have built into us, these 70 trillion cells fighting for life, this hologram of life of cells that are dying and you know being reborn in every single moment, it's super resilient. So you have to ask yourself, if I've got new gut cells every three to seven days, why do I still have GI issues? Well, you're sending those cells the same message. Just like buying somebody a new car doesn't make them a better driver, giving you brand new cells and sending them a stress signal is not going to make you healthier. So mm. when, when people's stress uh, is fired up, then the critical systems for healing and repair, regeneration, reproduction, all of those systems shut down. And it's a highly intelligent and extremely well-orchestrated response, but it's not intelligent to have that response firing all the time. A simple reminder I give people is when you go to the zoo, what are the animals doing? And everyone kind of looks around and like, they're doing nothing. I'm like, exactly, because they're parasympathetic. And being parasympathetic allows you to heal so much more deeply. The most parasympathetic thing that we do is sleep. And we know we have a sleep crisis. Most people can't even do that anymore. We also know that the average person, since the invention of the light bulb, sleeps three hours less than they used to. So we went from 10 hours of sleep to seven hours of sleep. And I don't even know what the statistics are for, uh, you know, after the cell phone was invented and devices were invented, where now screens could come into our laps and right in front of our faces like this, that's never happened in human history. So I can only imagine how much less sleep people are getting and the quality of their sleep is not as good. So the very thing that makes us uh, super ultra parasympathetic, which is sleep, we can't even do that anymore. I mean, tens of millions of Americans and North Americans have sleep disorders, right? So 
when somebody has a sleep disorder, they have a, they have a, a disorder of being able to become parasympathetic. And it's the basically one of the steps uh, that leads to chronic health issues because how well you sleep is how well you heal. Mm. And so if you can't do that properly, then your healing is going to be compromised. But then the rest of your day also matters. If you're easily triggered, if your nervous system is just fired up all the time and you're watching television and you're getting the, all of these things you know, embedded into your mind that the world's coming to an end, every week there's something else that's going to bring the world to a tragic end and you're wiring your nervous system to be uh, you know, agitated by all this information, negative information that you're being bombarded with, you should have a stress response. You should be sympathetic dominant. You should have bad digestion. You should have high blood pressure. You should have reproductive issues. You should have brain fog. You should be making bad decisions because based on where you're sending blood flow, I expect that to happen. So when somebody comes in to the office and says, hey, my blood pressure is high, my cholesterol is high, my sleep sucks, I, uh, my digestion is not that great, you know, I get heartburn, my, um, you know, my detox is not good, I'm retaining all this fluid, I'm sensitive, I have allergies. I'm like, great, your body's perfect. That's exactly what it should be doing when it's stressed out, mm. right? Those, very, those systems should be shutting off. I'd like for you to share the picture that you were showing me earlier before we got started. Sure. I think it was so amazing. And I think that if you if you guys are listening to this right now on the podcast, I really would love for you to go to our YouTube channel and actually look at this because this is super, super powerful. And it just explains things so well. All right. So let me give people a visual. There is a, a picture of a, a brain at the top. And then uh, from that brain, we see a spinal cord. And off that spinal cord, we see all these little what we call sympathetic chain ganglia. And firing off those little ganglia, or little, it's like a little chain, is a nerve that goes to all the different organs in our body. Now, let me, let me just kind of give people a, a stress 101 uh, talk here. So if this is familiar to you, then uh, listen to it anyways, because you might pick up something new. So all, all stress is basically a result of information coming from the brain, in particular, a part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the decision-making center of the brain. It has to decide if the sensory information that's coming in, our smell, the sounds, touch, you know, taste, what we see, like all that stuff is coming into the brain and the brain has to decide, is this gonna be a fight or flight situation or is everything okay? So we have this built-in survival mechanism, this servo mechanism that is constantly surveying our environment and comparing the environment and the sounds and the sense to our past experiences, our beliefs and our values. So an example would be if a lion were to walk into this room, from the corner of my eye, I would see the lion, that would go into this part of my brain and the amygdala would decide based on what my beliefs and values are that this is gonna kill me. And it would immediately send a signal down the spinal cord to all the organs and start pumping out fight or flight chemicals. And those chemicals go to every single cell, every single organ in our body and tell that system, you've gotta be prepared for fight or flight. So your liver that was detoxing now stops detoxing because it's taking up all this blood flow that is not necessary for survival. Your digestive system shuts down. There's an 80% decrease in blood flow to your digestive system when you're under stress. So guess what? That blood that was going to those organs now goes to your arms and legs. And in order for that to happen, your blood pressure has to go up 
Okay. Otherwise, how are we going to get the blood to our fingertips and toes if there isn't enough pressure? Our kidneys shut down, reproductive organs start shutting down because none of those things are actually going to allow me to survive the lion that's right there. Now, only after that happens does my prefrontal cortex get the information that there's a lion there. So we're always reacting to our values, beliefs, and experiences. When people say they're reacting to stress, it's actually not the stress because if your belief system was that the lion's not going to kill me, right? So if a two-year-old's in the room, they see the lion, they're going to run towards the lion, not because they have a different nervous system, but because they have a different value system. Okay. So between the age of zero and eight is when the majority of our limbic programming takes place. What we should fear, how we should react, what's going to kill us. A lot of that happens when at a very young age before we can even understand what it even means. So we might see our mom react to a spider. Okay. And it freaks her out. And guess what? We, it's programmed in our mind that we should freak out when we see a spider. And then we have this unconscious pattern that's built into our minds. And the amygdala is doing something that we've been trained. We've trained it to try to protect us. Now, one thing I caution parents on very, very importantly, is be careful how you act in front of your kids and what you say in front of your kids. Because before the age of five, their left and right brain is not connected. So they can see what's happening, but they can't make sense of why it's happening and what the interpretation of that information is because they don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So what you say in front of your kids is actually very, very important. And also be careful what they watch on television. If you ever watch a child watching television, they're basically in a trance and they have this information coming into their brain which we as adults can process and make sense of, but they can't. And so they essentially don't have that ability to filter what is right, what's real, what's wrong, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. They just believe anything that comes into the brain up to the age of five. And then, you know, so these are things that we want to be extremely mindful. If you ever watch your child watching television, they're in a trance, aren't they? Like they're basically like, no matter how much, how much you scream at them, you can't get their attention because they're being programmed, right? It's called television programming for a reason. So from that young age, we can embed what people should be fearful of. And, and uh, guess what? We can trigger them as adults. Mm. So if I make somebody scared of something as a child, I can trigger that same response because the limbic brain is what's releasing that stress response chemical and that stress response in the body. It's deciding, not the prefrontal cortex. So a lot of people are constantly fighting their physiology all day trying to manage stress. So they use yoga to manage stress. They use, you know, Tai Chi and Qi Kong and breathing. Well, that's like starting a fire and then having a really good fire extinguisher. How about we just not start the fire in the first place, right? How about we go a couple layers deeper and figure out what's triggering us so we're not constantly spending time, energy, and effort fighting our nervous system all day. So what we do it and uh, what I encourage people to do is go a few layers deeper. I don't know about you, but all my friends like to enjoy a nice glass of wine after a long, stressful day. But the problem is that all these wines have so many harmful chemicals like pesticides and way too much sugar. If you're going to drink wine, you should drink dry farm wines. Their wines are all natural and additive free, and they are tested for purity, sugar-free, and low alcohol. So you can have the great taste of good wine without all those extra chemicals. And as a special gift, if 
you sign up with our link at chantelrayway.com slash wine, you can get a bonus bottle of natural wine for just one penny. So have that extra bottle of wine for one penny, go to chantelrayway.com slash wine, or just click the show notes and you'll see the link right there. Okay. And you know, you can measure yourself. You can measure things like HRV. You can measure, and uh, HRV is heart rate variability. This will tell me the tone of your nervous system. You can use breathing to retonify your nervous system. So sometimes we'll have people do breathing exercises before they eat because they can use the breath to stimulate uh, this next part of the slide, which is the vagus nerve. And when we stimulate the vagus nerve, we tell our body that, hey, everything is safe and we're gonna go into a rest, digest, repair, reproduce, and uh, regenerate type of state in our body. And not just one organ goes into that state, every organ goes into that state. So if I can master my breath, or I, if I can get in tune with my breathing, or if I can find other ways to stimulate my vagus nerve, guess what? That's a way to heal every single cell system and organ in your entire body. So the way the body works is the same blood goes everywhere. So it's not like you're going to have one system of your body that's on high alert and another system of your body that is in, uh, in a resting state. Your entire system's healing or your entire system is in fight or flight. And so when people come to us, you know, one of the things we focus on, a really uh, simple example, Chantel, you know, speaking of fasting and food and stuff like that, you know, people ask us, what should I eat? And we tell them, well, wrong question. The first question you should be asking is how long should I not be eating for? Because fasting is so powerful for us. And when you do decide to eat, the question should be not what do I eat, but how should I eat? Mm. Most people are so focused on what they eat that they're not focused on how they eat. And so they go through diet after diet after diet, and they don't never they never really proper assimilate properly assimilate the healthy organic foods and GMO free foods that they're eating because they're eating under chronic stress. They don't chew their food enough. They don't extract enough nutrition from it. And they're not sending blood flow to the very area that they need the most blood flow to, which is their digestive organ, uh, their stomach, their pancreas, their liver, you know, their small and large intestine. You need to send blood there if you want those organs to function. That's why your mom tells you not to swim after you eat because you're going to get a stomach cramp. And the reason you get a cramp is because your body's fighting to try to send blood to the gut, but your outward demands are to send blood to the arms and legs and your body's fighting to try to figure out where to send that blood to. So if you're going to eat, you know, get your body in a state where it can optimize digestion. If you're going to go for a run, then we don't want blood going to your stomach. Why would we want blood going there? We want it going to your arms and legs. So we call that autonomic pairing. Pair your nervous system with function that you're trying to uh, undergo. For example, if you're in fight or flight, you're not going to be able to sleep. I shouldn't be surprised by that, right? It just makes perfect sense when you look at the body through this lens and you realize very quickly why most people's health strategies fail because they're stressed out about getting healthy and that's impossible to actually do. Uh, that is such a nugget. I love what you just said right there and I want to repeat it so that people, you can go ahead and start. Do you, do you want to keep sharing that? I can turn it off, sure. Okay. Unless you are still using no, I think it. we're good. Okay. I love what you just said right there. And I want to repeat it because I think it's so valuable, but I think it's so true that you do need to focus more on how you're eating. Obviously you want to put good food in your body, but if you're focusing more on how you're eating and getting your body into optimized digestion, because I know for me, <clears throat> what I used to do 
was I used to use food when I was stressed. So before I started fasting, that's one of the things I love about fasting so much is that it it taught me to understand true hunger versus hunger when I was emotionally stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so what people do is they are stressed out. Now they're running to a pan of brownies. Now they're eating it so fast because they're they're not using it for true hunger. They're using it because they need to calm down. They need to, you know, they're using it for other than true hunger. Mm -hmm. And so now, like you said, now the body is taking so long to be able to process that food and be able to digest it because you're in fight or flight. Well, you know, we we have a a reflex that initiates a parasympathetic response when we chew. So the act of eating actually attempts to shift us into a parasympathetic state. Uh, But if we don't deal with the emotions that are coming up or the void that's creating that stressor, then yeah, we're just going to keep eating and we're not, we're going to feel unsatiated when cortisol is up, uh, eating something with sugar in it actually lowers your cortisol because cortisol's main job in your body is to raise blood sugar. Now I'm not suggesting that people go and start eating something sweet, but it's, it seems counterintuitive, but the reason you crave something sweet is because it's going to actually help you uh, bring your cortisol levels down. And when you bring cortisol down, you bring blood sugar down. Now, another thing that uh, goes back to childhood is a lot of parents will use food to shut their kids up or they'll use foods to show their kids how much they love them. And they typically use, for whatever reason, junk food to show their kids how much they love them. So guess what? When you're an adult and your limbic brain is is making all the decisions for you, then you're going to crave those foods that are your comfort foods because that's what made you feel good when you were a child. Right? A lot of stuff, a lot of trauma that we deal with is childhood trauma that is unresolved. And because our, our uh, limbic brain is not a higher processing center, it's a very rudimentary processing center, we can't necessarily uh, see that and work with that at a conscious level. So for some people, that's why hypnotherapy works so well. For some people, that's why plant medicines can work well, because it helps them come face to face with their fears. When you come face to face with your fears, you're coming face to face with your limbic system. Mm. I want to repeat back what you said, just because when you say something that really kind of everyone, it's like a ding, 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 everyone needs to listen to that. That is so powerful. And I did not know that, that sugar reduces levels of cortisol, the stress hormone. And so when you're stressed, that's why you maybe are craving something sweet. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, what would have been sweet to us, you know, hundreds of years ago would be something like fruit right? It wouldn't be like something processed and, and junky like we eat now. Mm. And, you know, the other thing too is, um, you know, usually if you're a hunter gatherer or after a stressful event in your life, there is usually some sort of celebration involved, right? So if, you're, if your tribe was recently attacked and you're releasing all this cortisol and then the, and you guys win afterwards, there's a celebration that takes place afterwards. So one of the things that can also help is, you know, getting people to be more grateful right? Getting people to be more present and aware with their feelings and understand, you know, how they're using food perhaps, or how they're using their emotions to cope with what's coming up for them. Yeah. And I love what you said about sleep and how it's so powerful in, in getting your body to rest. And so let's talk about what are some things that you've practical ways that you've seen people really take their sleep, getting better REM sleep, getting better deep sleep and allowing them to sleep longer. Can you give us some tips? 
Sure. So just so everyone knows, I actually normally have an aura ring on. I, it's my ring is charging right on. now. I see that. So you're keeping track of your deep sleep and REM sleep and also, you know, your movement and sleep and wake time. So, you know, in all honesty and all transparency, one thing that all, typically pops up for me on my sleep is interruption. And mm. I, I sleep with my son and, uh, and most nights I sleep in, in, in uh, bed with him. My wife is a very light sleeper, so she enjoys sleeping by herself. And, uh, you know, whenever we can, we'll, we'll sleep together. But most nights I sleep with my son and he's, he's nine now. So you can only imagine he's, you know, you've, you've met him. So yeah, he moves around, he moves around. And, and so my sleep does get interrupted, but I'm willing to deal with that because I get to sleep with him. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my one thing that I need to work on with sleep. I no, have noticed that when I drink a, a red tea with reishi mushroom in it, before I go to bed, that makes a big difference for me. I've also noticed if I wear blue blocking glasses, uh, then that seems to make a difference for me. And I've also noticed- Do you wear those glasses during the day? Like, or how long, when do you wear them? So, you know, like my, my lenses right now actually have a blue blocking filter in them. And then, so I'm always wearing something because I'm on the computer probably more than, more than I'd like care to admit, but that's where a lot of my work takes place. Mm -hmm. um, in the evening, when the sun goes down, that's when I, that's when I'm going to put on my, my nighttime glasses. So typically we want to try to pattern our circadian rhythm with the sun. That's what we would be doing. That's what all the animals are doing is they're patterning their behavior with, with not a, a watch, but they're doing it with the sun. So as much as possible, we want to minimize overhead light exposure in the evenings. So what that means is when the only time in nature that light would be coming from the top would be during the day right? When the sun goes down, there's a sunset and then all the light would be coming kind of at eye level. So you can kind of create that in your home by turning off the overhead lighting and using lamps with shades, perhaps even using candlelight. Candlelight only decreases melatonin about two to 5%, according to my friend Thaddeus Owen, and traditional lighting lowers it about 40%. So when you lower melatonin, then you significantly uh, impair deep healing to take place. Now, another thing about melatonin is melatonin is antagonist to cortisol. So when your body produces melatonin, it actually binds to the adrenals and shuts off cortisol production. Mm. But if you're exposed to light, especially overhead light, you're not creating that signal in your pineal gland to start releasing more melatonin. So the lighting in our home and the angle of the lighting actually makes a big difference. Uh, campfires and candlelights, very little do they, and even moonlight, very little has very little impact on melatonin but artificial lighting has a significant impact. What bulbs should people use? I recommend whenever possible, uh, tungsten bulbs, which were the original light bulbs that we, um, Thomas Edison invented. And so if you use those, those are gonna be a warmer color temperature, keep them dim. And then if, you have your, if you're watching TV or on your computer, then I recommend either an app called Iris for your computer or something called Flux. And that's gonna take some of the blue light out of your screen. You can get iris or twilight for your phone as well. So again, I'm not condoning you use the phone because some people's phones, regardless of what color their screen is, there's stressful information on there, right? So they might be stressed out by their timeline or their email or their credit card bill, I don't know. So it's not just the color of your screen, but it's what's on the screen that matters too. So you know, that would be something to take into consideration. And then, you know, I use essential oils. I like lavender. And then one of my favorite oils is made by one of our mutual friends, uh, Jody Cohen. And uh, 
it, uh, it's called parasympathetic. And I put that on my mastoid because uh, that oil will also help me get more parasympathetic. Mm. So those are some of the things that I do, um, you know, before going to bed at night and, you know, in trying to balance my sleep and get deeper sleep. And I've noticed, uh, oh, the last thing, sorry, I should mention this. Uh, one thing that I've been doing recently that's been ma made a big difference, it's increased my deep sleep by half an hour each night I've used it, is a magnesium oil. Mm. So it's a, it's, it's not oily or greasy or anything, but it's typically called a magnesium oil. And I have, I use uh, five sprays on the inside of my elbow. So on my forearm area, on both sides, the back of my knees, and then five sprays on my abdomen. And I just kind of gently, very gently just rub it in and it gets absorbed and um, it uh, has made a big difference for me. So that's something that I wanted to share too. Hey guys, I have a free smoothie book that has over 20 recipes that are super unique, like broccoli bonanza, great green smoothie, and mojito madness, and so much more. They are really amazing and you're going to love them. And the best part is it's totally free. So go to chantelrayway.com slash free recipe, and you'll get the book and tons of other free recipes, or just look in the show notes and click there. Awesome. I was just going to ask you that. So this is my my aura ring. And basically, I usually get about an 82, 85 on the score of the, nice. the thing. And I the total sleep is about, I got seven hours and 35 minutes. So that's about what I'm getting each night is somewhere between seven minutes, seven hours and 30 and eight hours. But always under the restfulness, it says pay attention. Mm -hmm. And then my REM sleep is usually always good, but my deep sleep is always in the red. So the two things that are always in the red for me are, and it's, I mean, this is almost every night I get this exact same score. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always around 80 to 85. My everything is in the nice green or whatever it's called. And then the restfulness always says pay attention and my deep sleep is always in the red. So maybe I'll try anything for the restfulness. So I'll try that magnesium oil for the deep sleep. Anything for the restfulness that you can think of that I could do? Well, that's the thing that that's the only thing that comes red for me now is the is restfulness. It? And and I I attribute it to for me at least that I I always toss and turn. Um maybe that's a limiting belief and I'm just kind of repeating mm -hmm. myself, right? But I, that's, I, for as long as I can remember, I have never slept through the night, mm. ever. So it's rare for me, and I've always kind of been envious or curious about how do you put your head down on the pillow and then not wake up in the middle of the night and you wake up and you're like, oh my God, it's eight o'clock, like I slept in. Like that's <laughs> never happened to me. Uh -huh. So, so I'm always like kind of jealous of people who can do that, uh, or I should say curious about how people can do that. But I have noticed that when I sleep by myself, I tend to have better, mm -hmm. uh, less interrupted sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that, that that I can say, and that's not a slide against my son or my wife. It just when you have your own space, you yeah. tend to you tend to get deeper sleep. And I've also found that the timing of my meals can make a difference as well. So you know, sometimes I, I'll you know, I won't have that three hour window before I go to sleep, and but I'll see it on, on my aura ring that it'll throw me off a little bit. So, you know, and then the time of year can make a difference too. Mm. Yeah. The, the funny thing is when I notice my, for my restfulness, the time that my restfulness is 
good is when I start doing a longer fast, let's say I start, let's say I did like a two day or a three day fast. The first day I did a fast, my sleep is not good, but that second day it really is. And so that's when my restfulness will get a lot better. So thank you so much for being with us on the show today. This was absolutely amazing. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Well, thank you. I was actually looking for my own aura ring score because I wanted to show you. Oh yeah, um, let me see. Let me see. I wanted to show you something that was kind of cool that happened while I was doing my, I did, I just recently last week, I did a five-day fasting mimicking diet and it was kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, the, the transition that took place. So you can see here, um, let me see. This was when I was at Terry Wall's event, I was speaking there. So I was out of, out of I was in Houston uh, or I was in Austin rather. And so my sleep was like really thrown off uh, mm-hmm. because of that. But then I started my fast. Uh, this was Sunday and then I started my fast and you can see how much my HRV went up. Every single day I was fasting, it continued to go up. And then when I started eating again, you can see that it went down. Wow. So it just shows you the power of, of, fasting and how, how. So explain, can you explain what heart rate variability means for people who don't know what that is? Sure. I'll, I'll give them the elevator spiel on heart HRV. So heart rate variability is the variability between each heartbeat. So if your heart beats 60 beats per minute, each beat isn't exactly 1.000 seconds apart. Each beat has a slight variation to it. Now, when you're under stress, your heart's going to be beating very consistently. But when you're in a relaxed state, your heart's going to be beating kind of like there's going to be a little bit of less consistency and there's going to be a more variation. I mean, it's very minor. It's imperceptible, but a computer can pick it up. So that slight variability uh, is going to be an indication that you're more parasympathetic. Mm. And so HRV is a great measurement for resilience. It's a great measurement to see what's left in the gas tank. And so over that period of time, my body became more resilient. And then as I started eating, right, because food makes us less resilient because Mm -hmm. when we eat, our immune system has to respond and react to every single morsel of food we eat creates an immune response, right? Whether that response is positive or negative um, is to be determined based on what's programmed into our immune system. But if I send a million people to the border, right, I still have to process a million people at the border, even if they're all like, you know, good, good citizens and they all get through. But if there's a few bad cats in there, then you know obviously there's going to be trouble. Mm. So every time we eat, we decrease our resilience because we're putting our body on the defense as opposed to being on the offense when we don't eat. When we're not eating, our body doesn't have to worry about digesting and detoxing and eliminating. It's focused on all the other billions of things that it needs to do to get us healthy. Mm. So tell us about the fasting mimicking act diet that you did. Tell us a little bit about what your experience was. Give us the details on what you did for it. So it's it's put on by Prolon. And what they do is they put together a five-day kit. And each day you have each of the meals kind of, uh, and some of them are uh, freeze-dried or, you know, dehydrated foods and soups. And you get specific uh, timing of each of those meals. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then you skip out on the breakfast a few days and it's calorie restricted. It's all plant-based. It's vegetarian and, uh, or vegan rather. And you take a multivitamin, you take a algal oil with it as well. And you're basically, um, going to from 1100 calories to, I believe about 500 calories per day. 
And it gets you the benefits of like, when you tell somebody to fast for five days, that's pretty difficult for them to do, right? Or mentally it's difficult. And depending on when those perfect five days are for people, it may not even be possible. But this allows them to, allows us to eat. And so we feel like we're getting, you know, going through the motions of eating and not missing food so much and not stressing out about it so that we can have it. But then we're getting the, you know, biological benefits of not having to eat. So it's kind of a, the best of both worlds, so to speak. And Walter Longo has done a, a whole bunch of research on this that uh, is showing positive benefits in so many different areas of people's lives. So what were the benefits that you found for yourself? Like after you were done with it, what? Yeah. Well, my HRV went up. HRV, yeah. Yeah. Like when your HRV goes up, that's like you shifting into more of a parasympathetic state, Mm. right? So when HRV goes up, everything goes up, Mm. right? When HRV increases, every single cell in your body is functioning better because it's getting a healing and regenerative signal going to it. Yeah. Anything, one last question. What, anything else that you think that people could do right before they're eating to get themselves into that parasympathetic state? And even while they're eating things that they can actually do to get themselves to slow down, to calm down. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of things that I'll say that jump out at me. One, we have an acronym for this, for digestion. It's choose, chew, chill, cherish, check. So you have to choose. Say that again. Say that again. Sure. I'll go through it. So it's choose, chew, chill, cherish, and check. So first you got to choose the foods that are, that are in alignment with the goal that you're trying to accomplish, right? With your health. Um, You've got to choose how you feel about that food, right? We live in the first time in human history where people complain about eating healthy. So you can't eat something healthy and feel like you're punishing yourself. You have to be Uh, in a positive state and positive mood about that food. You've got to chew that food because if you don't chew that food, you can't break open the cell wall that actually allows you to digest that meal, um, especially plant-based foods. You have to chill. So you've got to be in a relaxed state. Usually if you're with your friends, hanging out, like get off your email, get off your phone, um, you know, get away from the TV, like do something that relaxes you. You can do some deep breathing. You can use your heart math for a few minutes before And if you want, like I said, you can use the essential oil on the mastoid process called parasympathetic. It's clove and lime oil. So if you don't have that oil, you can use clove and lime oil and put that on the mastoid process on each side. And then you've got to uh, cherish. You've got to be grateful and be mindful and be very happy that you've got this amazing, healthy, delicious meal that was prepared for you or you prepared it yourself, whichever one it is that you're going to eat and it's going to nourish your body. And then the last part of that is check. So every day you should at least take a quick peek in the toilet, make sure there's no blood, there's nothing obscure, like your food's being digested, there's no undigested you know, lettuce in there because that tells me you're not chewing your food properly. And then at least once or twice a year, you want to get a functional stool test because that's going to tell us more about what's happening at a microscopic level. Mm, love it. Well, thank you again. You are, every time I talk to you, I get more and more wisdom. So tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. So the first thing I'll, the place I send everybody is a program we have called 30 ways in 30 days. And the website is 30in30.org. And so when they go there, they'll get a free 30-day program that basically shares my 30 best tips. So if you like this information, this style of information where it's raw, it's real, then you get that for 30 straight days. It's absolutely free. Our objective with that program is to keep you out of our office. And so we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. 
And that program is a way for us to be able to do that. And say that website one more time. Sure. It's 30in30.org. 30in30.org. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at chantelrayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.